0: Hi, my name is Caitlin, and welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: Easter, every Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By far the most important event to the Christian church, and the most important question to be answered by every single human being that walks this earth. Now, during the worship set, we read the familiar Easter story from the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew. That walked us through the events that happened on this day 2,000 years ago. But now we turn our attention to another enormous passage in Scripture on the resurrection. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out for us, followers of Jesus Christ, the importance of the resurrection. And he asks us and really challenges for those of us who don't believe in Jesus Christ. He challenges us to say, why? Why don't you believe in Jesus? Because like we said, this is the single most important question that you will answer in your entire life. I know it seems like it's, what do you want for dinner tonight? That's not it. It's not even on the radar. Did Jesus Christ raise from the dead? Was the resurrection a historical event, or was it a fable created by his followers? So our scripture reading from today is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 20, and it says this. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep." Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we of all men... Are to most be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Here is the incredible reality of Easter. We've been going through this sermon series, Behold the Man, and we've been talking about all of these different bystanders who saw Jesus Christ in his life, walking up to the cross, going through all of the events. The reality that Easter poses is this Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is through the eyes of us, through the eyes of you and me. The incredible reality of Easter is that you and I can now behold the resurrected Savior. You are his disciple, actively his disciple. Our Savior is alive to be followed. We don't follow the teachings of a dead man like every other world religion that exists. We follow a living Savior. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's dive in. Today we're going to look at the truth of the resurrection, we're going to look at the truth of His revelation, and then we're going to look at those two things what response that requires of us. First, we look at the truth of the resurrection. The truth, Jesus is alive. His disciples and many others beheld him. And here's the thing, we said this from the beginning. This is the most important question that every human being has to answer. Every human, not just Christians, has to wrestle with this question. Is the resurrection real? I would argue nothing else matters. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event, if it actually happened, then that means that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he is. Not a good teacher. A lot of times in culture today says, well, I believe in Jesus as a good teacher. No, not a prophet. There are other religions that believe, well, yeah, Jesus existed. Historically, we know this, but he was just a prophet. If Jesus Christ raised from the dead, then he did exactly what he said he was going to do, which means that he is exactly who he says he is, the Son of the Most High God, sent to pay for our sins. Now, if a man came to earth, forget about everything else. If a man came to earth and he taught a bunch of stuff, he said he was going to die and then in three days be raised back to life. And then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of eyewitnesses who said, holy cow, it happened. He did and he was. Wouldn't you listen to what that guy had to say? On top of that, part of this man's teaching was, you can have this too. I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing it for all of you who will follow me. Wouldn't you follow that? If this is real, wouldn't you give yourself for that man who said that? See, we get caught in this trap, and you hear this a lot. Well, I just don't like Jesus' teaching on, uh, right? In the Western world, we really don't like Jesus' teaching on sexual ethic and morality. Right? We don't like those things. Don't tell me how to live my life. I can be a good person on my own. I don't need somebody to tell me how to be good. right? But in other cultures, they really like that stuff. What they don't like is Jesus' teaching on mercy and forgiveness. So which culture is right? And the answer is none of them. Jesus is right. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But the problem the resurrection poses with this idea is that if a man came and taught the way Jesus did, and then was resurrected from the dead, he's not asking if you like his teaching or not. He's saying, if you want this power, this is how to get it. This is what to do. This is how you follow me. And then he gives us, this is the craziest part about Christianity, he gives us the power to walk in it. He doesn't just say, here's a good example, do your best. Not that. He says, here is the very power of God to enable you to walk this out. It doesn't matter if you like the teaching. We actually just had this conversation with our son Elam last week. Uh, He was doing math homework, which is from Satan. Um, If you've ever argued with your kids over math homework, you know this. But he was really upset with what, the you know how the decimal, after the decimal point, they all have their names, tenths, hundredths, thousandths. He was really upset because the first number after the decimal place is the tenths place. He so said, that doesn't make any sense. It's the ones over here. It's like, I, yeah, I get it. It doesn't make sense, but that's what it is. Well, I'm just going to write down the ones. <laughs> well, you're going to get it wrong. Well, I, 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 yeah, but that's, that's what makes sense to me. Guys, we follow Jesus the same way, don't we? Well, Jesus, this doesn't make sense to me, so I'm just going to do it this way. He's not asking your permission. He's not asking your opinion on his teaching. He's saying this is the way. Walk in it. And if the resurrection was a real event, then we have to do what Jesus said. And there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that can prove to us beyond a reasonable doubt that the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place. And the most convincing proof, which conveniently ties into our sermon series, is the sheer number of people who beheld the resurrected Savior. The sheer number of people who saw Jesus Christ in his resurrected form. We read it today in our scripture passage, that Jesus appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus, 500 plus. And don't miss the fact that Paul tells his readers, the church in Corinth, most of them are still alive. What's Paul saying? He's saying, hey guys, you guys remember reading Rainbow, Lamar Burton, right? He'd do his little pitch for a book and then say, but don't take my word for it. And he'd go to the little kids who really liked the books. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't take my word for it, guys. Look, you can tell me that I had a hallucination. You can tell me that when I was walking on the road to Damascus, we'll get there, but that that Jesus showed up and you can call it, you know, I was high on something that I ate and bad pizza, whatever it was. You can call it a hallucination. But you go find these 500 other people that he showed up to. You go find the 11 other disciples that he showed up to. You go find his mother. You go find Mary Magdalene. You go find these women who found the empty tomb. Every single name. Guys, we don't get this. But when we read these stories, right? We read the stories and there's, there's these names in there. There's that, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Salome, you know, the, the, the other woman who showed up at the tomb with, with Mary. So, so she shows up. Guys, when people write books, when people write literature, nobody writes a story like that. Not even today. This, that lady, she makes her appearance one part in the gospel and never shows up again. She wasn't a, like a, a devoted follower of Jesus who did some fancy stuff. When you write a novel, when you write a story, a fiction, you put characters in that you develop. You don't shove a name in there and say, oh, there's some random name, and then move on to the next one. Every single name you see in this gospel account, in every gospel account, that is a calling card. That is that gospel writer saying, look, y'all, if you don't believe me, go find Mary. Go find Salome. What is it? Salome? Go find her. Go find these people and ask them. Ask them if this is true. Don't take my word for it. 500 people experience the resurrected Jesus Christ. And this isn't it. Matthew 27:52. This is in the crucifixion scene. But it tells us while Jesus is being crucified, the veil is torn into two and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Guys, do you realize how absolutely gutsy this would be to write and include in your gospel account if it didn't happen? Absolutely anyone in Jerusalem could have been like, "Hold on a second. That didn't happen." Matthew, what are you talking about? Like, I I live in Jerusalem. I'm like right on the edge of town. If people were popping up from graves and zombies, you know, coming into Jerusalem, attacking, like, I'd, I'd be the first to know. I'm right outside the graveyard. You don't put this stuff in a story unless it happened. Because if you do, you are exposing yourself for somebody to call you out on fiction. And they don't. John 20, verses 30 and 31 from our passage that we read today. John says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John is saying, There's even more than what you read here. Go talk to people. There's more. There's more to learn. He closes his gospel account by saying this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things and we know that this testimony is true and there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. And if you still have question, John opens his first letter, 1 John, this way. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John does not say, hey guys, I saw all this stuff. I touched Jesus. I heard him speak. I saw him with my own eyes. Believe me. That'd be powerful. But John says, We. John is talking about these 500 witnesses. All of us saw him. Ask around. Find Peter. Find James. Find Mary. Find all the Marys. Find Martha. Every single name you see. Guys, there's this nasty idea that the Gospels were a tall tale, a fable created by the followers of Jesus. Those people who say that don't understand literature. Fables take hundreds of years to develop. You know, we hear about King Arthur, right? Here's the thing. History, no, no historian will argue the existence of a King Arthur but some of the tales and the, the battles he goes off on, they'll say, yeah, those are probably largely exaggerated. Those fables didn't develop until hundreds of years after Arthur walked this earth. Do you know why? Because if they come around while anybody is still alive who saw him, somebody's going to say, Lancelot's going to say, Arthur was a scumbag. I was better than he was. I fought better than Arthur did. Come on, somebody somebody's going to call your bluff. Somebody's going to call you out on it. These gospel accounts were written, which means that they were passed on verbally even before they were written, but they were written 50 years after Jesus' death. That's not long enough, y'all. There would have still been many eyewitnesses alive who could have said, this isn't true, y'all. The gospels were not made up. There were too many people. Too many people. And Paul says, go, find them. And you know the craziest thing? Of all of those 500 people, there is absolutely zero, zero historical evidence that a single one of them cracked. Not one. Not one in the midst of death, in the midst of extreme suffering and torture. Not one of them recanted their story. Not a single one. There's this guy, some of you may know the name, Chuck Colston. Colson. He was, he was an advisor to President Ronald Reagan. Uh, he got in really hot water with Reagan when they went through the, or I'm sorry, Nixon. Um, got into really hot water when they went through the Watergate stuff, um, went to jail. In jail, he found Jesus. And the thing that led him to Jesus was this. I'm going to read you this quote from him. Uh, he says this. He said, Watergate proves the resurrection was real says there were no more than a dozen of us. Could we maintain a cover-up to save the president? Consider that we were political zealots, we enjoyed enormous political power and prestige. With all of that at stake, you'd expect us to be capable of maintaining a lie to protect the president. Can anyone believe that for 50 years that Jesus' disciples were willing to be ostracized, beaten, persecuted? And all but one of them suffer a martyr's death without ever renouncing their conviction that they had seen Jesus bodily resurrected. Does anyone really think the disciples could have maintained a lie all that time under that kind of pressure? So why didn't they crack? Because they had come face to face with the living God. They could not deny what they had seen. The fact is that people will give their lives for what they believe is true, but they will never give their lives for what they know is a lie. The Watergate cover-up proves that 12 powerful men in modern America couldn't keep a lie, and that 12 powerless men 2,000 years ago couldn't have been telling anything but the truth. But see, we don't just have eyewitness accounts because we also have the truth of jesus and his revelation this tells us this truth tells us that jesus is alive you can behold him you are his disciple we act like these eyewitness accounts are all that we have but ladies and gentlemen jesus is still alive today he is alive You know, we want this to be a core truth of everything we do here at the gospel house, but if Jesus is still alive, then he is still discipling us right now, right? That's why we don't believe in mentoring at the gospel house. We believe in discipling because I walk with Jesus and then you disciple with me as we both walk with Jesus together. And that's how every one of our relationships should be. He's still alive, so we can still walk with him If Jesus is still alive, then he is still teaching us. He's still leading us into truth. If Jesus is still alive, he's still leading us. He's leading his church, which means that the resurrection power is leading his church, which means his church has nothing to fear. It's not going anywhere. It's his church, and he is still leading it. Jesus is alive, still telling us what to say, still telling us what to do, still telling us where to go and with whom to interact. Jesus hasn't stopped revealing himself because he's still alive. That's the truth of the resurrection that we rarely teach in the church. You know, we come to hear the pastor teach, right? But if we teach that Jesus is still actively teaching, well, then nobody needs to come hear a pastor teach, right? Bad job security. But he is. He's still teaching. It's even more rare that we live out the implications of this in our everyday life. You follow a Savior who is still alive. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15: Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. He's referencing the experience that Paul had in Acts 9. Paul on the road. Uh, to, to Damascus, sees a bright light, and Jesus speaks to him through this bright light. He's blinded by the light. He has these scales grow over his eyes because the glory of Jesus is so bright. And he has this encounter with God. And look at what he says in Galatians 1. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Paul's saying, I didn't learn this from any man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace... "'was pleased to reveal his Son in me "'so that I might preach him among the Gentiles.' I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to be acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Paul does what a lot more of us Christians need to do. He doesn't have an experience with Jesus and then run out to the Christian bookstore. They didn't have Christian bookstores back then. But he doesn't run out and get a bunch of outside information on what it's like to have an experience with Jesus. He didn't do that. Paul went away for three years and did nothing but hear from the Lord. He plugged himself into the true vine and he heard from the Lord to see if this revelation was real. Then he went, and who did he talk to? The leaders of the church. And this wasn't like a denominational split church, right? He went to Peter. Peter was the leader at that time of the Capital C Church. Jesus was the leader. Jesus put Peter in charge. Peter was the earthly leader of the church. But he went and consulted them. That was the first person he went to. Then he talked to James, who was also leading with Peter. They confirmed his experience. Guys, there's a lot of goofy stuff out there in Christian bookstores. Did you know that? A lot of these weird Gospels, Paul actually talks about it, he continues in Galatians 1, 6 to 6-7, the reason he's writing to the church in Galatia. says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different Gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. See, there's a lot of weird gospels floating around. A lot of weird stuff. And we've got to be careful because there's, there's an overwhelming attitude that I have seen recently of people who are, well, you know, I'm not going to take in the whole thing. I'm going to question. I'm going to, you know, but guys, Satan doesn't care whether you believe the whole lie or not. As long as you get a nugget of untruth in there, he's done his job. And we, we swallow these things and, oh, you know, just, just sort out the meat from the bones. Ah, I don't know. Some of you guys know this. I, I've actually I've done a, been doing a Bible fast since we started the gospel. It doesn't mean I'm fasting the Bible. Don't worry. But it means that I, I used to really love reading and I read a lot of other books but when we started the Gospel House, I felt strongly that God didn't want me to be influenced by anything else, by any denominational pull or anything else. And so I, I really just hunkered down and I'm just reading the Bible. And guys, the longer I go, I don't know if I will ever read another book. Because we act like we need like, the Bible plus Tim Keller's ideas. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's a sin to go read other people's stuff. Like It's, it's good. It's good to disciple with other people it's good but but guys this book has everything we will ever need. This is the imperishable gospel. And that's the you know one of the core tenets when we started this church is is the gospel of Jesus Christ enough. That was the question that started this whole thing. Is this enough or do I need to add other people's teaching to it? And I firmly believe that this is enough. And that God is more than capable of revealing himself to us through his word. Hebrews 12, we talked about this on Good Friday, but it starts out therefore, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Do you see that? Not just eyewitness accounts, but people who have experienced Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not alone. You're not the only person in this world who's experienced Jesus Christ. You have so great a cloud of witnesses as long as you stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ in his word. We have so great a cloud of witnesses. Guys, you hear story after story after story. I really love the stories. They're probably the ones I've heard the most, but of people who are you know, adamantly entrenched in the Muslim faith and see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, they see him show up in a dream, or they see him show up, and he reveals the, himself to them, and they cut all ties, which is what, I mean, if you're, if you're a zealot in that religion, like you're, if you say you believe in Jesus, see ya, hit the road, Jack. Mom and dad are done. Brother and sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, we're done. You have to cut everything. This is what the New Testament church had to do. People who believed in Jesus were kicked out of the synagogue, which meant you have no home. And the Romans who wanted their tax, the temple was how they got their tax, they were coming for you. We don't, we don't get this today. So Oh, we get, you get kicked out of the gospel house and you, know, you just go find another church five minutes down the road. No big deal. That's not how it worked back then. That's not how it works today. But even still, Jesus is revealing himself. Even still, you can see the resurrected Jesus. We have so great a cloud of witnesses. I do want to add a little caution here. Just like Paul in Galatians, Paul didn't run off and ask everybody and their mother how they experienced Jesus. Because a lot of times what happens is, you know, I look and, well, I didn't have a blinding light and scales come over my eyes like Paul did, so my experience must not have been real. Not everybody's experience is the same, but the problem is we run off and try to compare our experiences, and we delegitimize or legitimize our experience based on what someone else has experienced, and we can't do that. Jesus talks about this in John 20. Thomas, you know, he gets the bad rap for being doubting Thomas, because all of the disciples say, hey, we saw the resurrected Jesus, and Thomas says, I don't believe it unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and in the hole in his side. I'm not going to believe it. So Jesus shows up and says, what's up now, Thomas? Here they are, poke away. And Thomas drops down and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus answers, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. You don't have to have a road to Damascus experience. Guys, I've never seen Jesus. He's never showed up in a dream for me. I've never seen, I've heard stories and I pray for it. I ask to see him, but I've never seen him. But that doesn't mean my experience is not as legitimate as someone else. And this verse comforts me because Jesus himself says, blessed are those who have not seen and believe. I want to see. I would love to have a dream where I see the fire in Jesus' eyes and I can look him in the face and see the love of a savior who gave his life for me. But guys, I don't need it. Because I have experienced him. And I believe with all of my heart that my Savior is alive. And this is the truth of our response. Jesus is alive. Live like it. Ladies and gentlemen, the church in the Western world is weak. Because it doesn't live like it serves a resurrected Savior if you look around and you see churches that are dead, it's because they don't live their life like they serve a resurrected savior. Look at Paul's response. Paul has this Damascus Road experience, and look at his response. In Galatians, he says, "'I have been crucified with Christ, "'and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. "'And the life which I now live in the flesh, "'I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul's saying, look guys, I want to be with Jesus. If you gave me the choice today, die or stay here on this earth, I choose death every time because my aiming point is Jesus. Remember we talked about that on Good Friday. My aiming point is Jesus. He is what I want more than anything in the world. Christian, there are too many of us People get get heated at me because I'll say something like this. If I had the choice, I would choose death. I would choose to go be with Jesus. Well, what about your family? Guys, I don't care. I love my family more than anything. I love Jesus more. And if Jesus is ready to take me from this earth, that means he's ready to take care of my family. I can trust him with them. But guys, we have to get to a point. Family is a good thing. This is the problem. Idols in our lives are very rarely bad things. Most of the time, they're good things that we've elevated above God. And if I want to stay on this earth because my family is holding me to it, then my family's become an idol. Christian, if you want to live in the power of God, we have to get to a point where we are ready to go to him. And if we stay... We stay because we do his will. We stay because he still has work to be done. And in Colossians, Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we'll end there for time's sake. Because it goes on and on. We could talk about Peter. We could talk about James. We could talk about all of the disciples who died horrific deaths, were crucified upside down, were tortured, were told deny Jesus as they're being tortured, and they refused because they saw the resurrected Savior and their lives were no longer their own. The New Testament church that we read about in Acts was unmatched in power. There was nothing more powerful. We know this because a group of people with absolutely no influence, they had no political power, they had no prestige, they had no privilege, they changed the entire Roman Empire. No army in the world could topple the Roman Empire. But from within, the Christians changed the Roman Empire because their lives were not their own. They saw and experienced the resurrected Savior, and everything they did lived for Him. So where does your boldness come from? Where does your response come from? Ladies and gentlemen, if you serve a Savior who got put in that tomb and never came out, you'll never be powerful. That's not a living Savior. But if your Savior is alive, and if you realize that truth, if that is a core truth to who you are, your life will be unmatched in power. You will live a life led by the Holy Spirit. This has to be our response, church. If we have any hope, any hope, in living a life of power, we have to realize that our Savior is not in the tomb anymore. But here's the thing. Jesus' tomb is empty. And I think one of the big reasons it's empty is because Jesus is inviting us into that tomb to see for ourselves ourselves. The Holy Spirit is inviting you into that tomb to see for yourself that it's empty. But ladies and gentlemen, when you come out, he is asking you to leave yourself in there. There's this amazing passage, we didn't read it today, but in 1 Corinthians 15, towards the end, in verse 43, Paul says this. He says, Our bodies are buried in brokenness but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem with the church today is that we don't want to bury our old man. We wanna try to walk in the resurrection power while still clinging to the sins of our past. And when I say sins, don't immediately jump to like, oh, heavy addiction and pornography and all this stuff. Not just that. That's sin. You need to leave it in the grave. But also with my way of doing things. Jeremy knows best. Sin. Sin because it's not God's way. So can the Holy Spirit invite you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday? This is your Resurrection Day. I know it's easy to preach salvation on Easter Sunday. If you're not saved, if you've never given your heart to the Lord here in person or watching online, then yes, today is a day of salvation. But even for you Christian who've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, today is your resurrection day. Walk into that tomb and see for yourself that it is empty because the Holy Spirit is still able to let you experience that. He is still able to anchor down deep into your heart and into your soul that this is real. Jesus is real and he is alive. He is alive today to be followed. The Holy Spirit can make that real, but when you go in that tomb and when you see that Jesus Christ is real, when you walk out, don't walk out yours. Walk out His. Walk out ready to say, Jesus, you have it all. All of me from this day forward, not my will, but yours be done in my life. And church, if you do it, you will walk in unmatched power. Not power for your kingdom. Not power for your healing. Not power for you at all. But power for him. For his kingdom. For his way. For his will. That's what he's calling us to. The invitation today is to step into that tomb to experience your resurrected Savior and to walk out a new man and woman, completely his. Let's pray. Jesus, you are alive. You are alive, Lord. And the empty tomb still sits as a testament to the fact that we serve a living God, a God that the grave could not hold, that hell could not keep down but that you burst forth from the grave. And God, you've offered us the same in your mercy and your grace. You've offered us that opportunity to step into your salvation. But Jesus, we've got to do it your way. We want to do it your way. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray for every single individual willing to step into that empty tomb. Holy Spirit, let them experience you in your goodness, in your glory. Let them see you, Jesus. Let them know without a shadow of a doubt that they serve a risen Lord, and Jesus, when we step out of that tomb, I pray that nothing would be the same, but that every single individual here would live a life so radically dependent on you, Holy Spirit, that we would absolutely change the atmosphere everywhere we go because you go before us, because you move us. Every breath that we breathe, let us breathe it for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, ww.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.